Hello and welcome to this episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. On time as always, starting promptly at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. <laughs> That's right. And tonight, <laughs> and tonight, of course, we'll be talking about all those wonderful character posters and the Vandy Fair article about Rings of Power. Nope, sorry, wrong, <laughs> wrong stream. Wrong stream. Wrong stream. We don't talk about it. Everything here is purely hypothetical because this is the Silmarillion Film Podcast where That's we right. prefer to talk about Tolkien adaptations. What, what was what was that phrase we used to say? Something about untrammeled. Untrammeled by, the... by reality. That's it. Yes. That's it. <laughs> yes. Things like budget or yeah. limits on the number of people we could cast. Or oh, yeah. Tra- yeah. Travel. Negotiations with uh, actors' agents have never been easier yep. than on, on some film that's, project. That's right. yep, yep. <laughs> yep, we just never has a cast been more docile and easier to manage yeah. than, than the cast of the some film project. We just put their pictures in a PowerPoint, vote, and cast, <laughs> that's it. And, and we're done. Move on. And it's done. And they're always awesome. And they always do such a wonderful job. You know, it just occurred to me is how remarkable it is that we haven't lost any yet. Yeah. None of them have died yet? No. If they we, do, we do we replace them? Miss. Well, that's a good question. We're going to have to, I because guess. Because we, yeah. we had a near miss uh, because uh, Sean Connery was nominated a few times. In fact, he was nominated for Bayor. So right. that we, would have been... Do we ever nominate Alan Rickman for anything? No, I think, I think he ever did. passed away that's... pretty early in the process. Okay, that's right. I think he would have had to be one of the Valar in season one or something. Yeah. 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 But it is... Kind of amazing we didn't nominate him. So, a little bit, a little bit. There, I think given given more time, I think I, I don't think we saw him as one of the Valar, and then there wasn't time. But and there there will come a point when we will we will reach our limit, and we will we will necessarily start casting people posthumously. And we'll be like, we <laughs> yes. we can't think of anyone who's alive. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know. The, the technology continues to get better. So. Yes. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's yeah. such a good point. Yeah. yeah I mean, like that, that I, gone too. I have to admit that like young Mark Hamill in uh, the book of Boba Fett last week was genuinely creepy. Like I yeah. was, I was, I was, I was like, uh, yeah, it was a very different experience than like young Leia at the end of rogue one. Basically. Yes. You well, know? yeah. Was... Cause that was only for a few seconds. Exactly. <laughs> I'll tell yeah. you that the so spoiler alert anybody who I haven't seen the last one yet. Uh, yeah, uh, oh no, no, not the last one. No, no. Okay. Anybody who has not seen the book of Boba Fett, hold your ears for a few seconds. Okay. Okay. Um, his appearance in the his longer appearance in the one episode of the book of Boba right. Fett right. was worlds better than the original appearance and it turns out it's oh at the end of season one right yeah Mm -hmm. yep and uh, it turns out it's because there were youtubers who had figured out a way to Uh make him look better and so (laughs) disney hired them interesting interesting to work on on it so it's it's getting really close yeah that's cool that's very cool by the way this, of course, is not a casting episode of the Silmarillion film. Project. It's not. It's not. We're, we're, this is a, this is a this is a, a, a typical digression at the beginning of a film yes. project episode. I I kind of feel like for I think this should be like a new category in casting. Each every cast, time we do a casting session, there should be at least one uh, posthumous nomination. posthumous nomination. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but. it does open up the big like. 
you know, what are we going to cast uh, Carrie Fisher as question, right? You know, I... Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Sorry, I love Nick's face there. Anyway, we, yes. I, I'm, I, we better move forward or, or else, you, you know, Marie's going to be all like, I'm jumping on there in just a minute and making them move forward. So, um, <laughs> welcome. Welcome. So, we're going to be continuing to work through some of, like, we're trying to get our minds around the trajectories of these storylines. We've done some really cool work in the last two episodes thinking about the Sauron plot and the Thorin Gwethel plot and how all that uh, is going to be working out. Really excited about a lot of those ideas. We've got a couple questions uh, to do today. What we're working around to eventually, right, is actually how are we going to handle the Baron and Luthien story itself? What, um, uh, you know, what things do we need to focus on? Are there things that we need to, you know, cut or alter. Um, and of course, always the question about what ele- are there elements from earlier versions, like from the Tale of Tenuviel and the Book of Lost Tales that we want to bring in, uh, and not just what uh, how the story is told in the published Silmarillion. So eventually, that's where we're getting around. But there's, we want to, we, we made the deliberate choice to talk about Baron and Luthien at the end um, so that we can have the idea of like all of these minor plot lines and characters that are around the side. We need to kind of have those as fixed points so that we know how the story of Baron and Luthien is going to kind of weave around them, I think. So um, today, the aspiration uh, is to discuss Glaurung and Thingol. Um, uh, what are they up to during the course, even though they're not going to be on screen for, you know, well, especially Glaurung, not going to be on screen much in this season. But we need to have an explanation. We need to have a story uh, attached to that. We need to figure that out. First, before we get too much further in, a uh, quick announcement. Wanted to uh, draw people's attention to our space program. Uh, our space program has been expanding. We've got a bunch of new stuff there. Uh, in the next couple months, you can come to our space program and learn about any or all of the following things. We have modules on learning ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. You can learn ancient Greek. Um, also, we're going to do we're going to do ancient Greek both as a beginning language and also as an advanced reading course. So, like if you've learned Greek in the past, but maybe your Greek's a little rusty and it's been many years, we're going to have a reading uh, class where you can uh, you can uh, kind of brush up your Greek again. Um, we're doing a module on the history of anime and and anime's connection to the history of uh, Japan in the 20th century. Really, really fascinating study. Um, you can do Old Norse again on two levels. You can start learning Old Norse from the beginning, or if you've studied Old Norse before, uh, you can come. We're going to do uh, uh, an advanced reading module set on the Volsunga Saga. You can read through the Volsunga Saga together. Um, and again, keep your keep your hand in on your Old Norse couple uh, Tolkien modules, uh, a bridge to the Silmarillion for folks who have read The Lord of the Rings and have never really gotten into the Silmarillion. We have a whole module to sort of help uh, to kind of bridge that gap between The Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion for folks. Um, There's going to be a special module called Pity in The Lord of the Rings, taught by Tom Hillman. Uh, Really excited about that one. Um, Looking at that theme and idea of pity throughout the text. We're going to do a Latin reading class on Hobbitus Illa, the Latin translation of The Hobbit, uh, 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 coming up soon. So lots of things happening in our space program. Uh, encourage folks to look into this, signumuniversity.org slash space. All right. Now, um, looking at the map here for a second, because we're starting with Glaurung. And there are two separate ways in which Glaurung, it's really tempting in a sense, to leave Glaurung sort of out of sight, out of mind, right? Because Glaurung is 
totally not connected to the storyline of season six. Right, we have no plans or indeed interest in involving Glaurung in Baron and Luthien's story. It's not a Glaurung story, and we don't want to make it a Glaurung story. Moreover, when we look at the map here, right, he's we left him at Hel- at Helvorn, way up here in the northeast corner of Beleriand, right? So, um, and all of the action, all of the action is going to be taking place. You know, from between Doriath, Nargothrond, Tulsirian, Angband, right? It's all in this central zone, uh, beginning and ending with Doriath. Well, okay, Dorthonian as well, obviously, with Baron. Um, but anyway, the point is, we're not going to go anywhere near. We needn't go anywhere vaguely near Lake Helivorn uh, during the course of this season if we wanted to avoid that. So, theoretically possible, we could leave sleeping dragons where they lie and just not talk about it, right? But I think there are several reasons why we don't want to do that, right? Um, we don't... One issue here is that Glaurung's a big deal. He's It's a big deal, and he's going to be our, you know, a very important character for us after this season, right? He's going to become... Um, I don't know if we could say he's exactly the protagonist. I mean, he's not exactly the protagonist of the Near Nith Arnoidiad, though he is gonna he's gonna have an important story in the Near Nith. Um but after the Near Nith is when he's going to become the dominant force in all of Beleriand for a while. Um so what's so what's he up to? You know, what's going on with Glaurung? If we don't talk about him. If we just leave him in the keep, right, uh, and keep Helivorn the whole season, um, what are the consequences of that? So, you know, Nick, let's start there. What would you say, Nick, would be the consequence, like the narrative consequence, the consequences for our story of just abandoning Glaurung in Keep Helivorn? That's obviously like the path of least resistance, right? Is like, let's just, you know... Pay no attention to the dragon in the castle. Hey, Marie, welcome. So one, so there are two major consequences that I that I can think of right off the bat. One is that we'll have to deal with how he gets back to Angban for the near night the following yep. season. Yeah, it's not a huge deal. You can find a way to do that. Right. Right. Presumably, the Near Nith is not going to start in episode one of season seven, so right. there would be time. But yes, right. I, I, I hear you. Um, the bigger issue um, is essentially one of, uh, of logistics. Because Keep Helborn stands on the Dwarf Road, uh, he is if not cutting off trade with the dwarves, it's certainly making it very difficult. Mm-hmm. The other issue, the other major issue um, on that front, which um, Steve has brought up, is that he's stuck behind enemy lines. Right. Now, could he be perfectly happy to himself be behind enemy lines? Sure. I don't sure. think he cares that much. Right. But I do think it unlikely that... Mithros would be satisfied to allow this extremely potent enemy to sit behind his lines in a 
position the, in in a position that puts my voice at a disadvantage. Um, yes, politically, economically, with the um, with the people that he just made inroads with during the Dagger Bragalock, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I find it I, I'm incredulous that Mavros does absolutely nothing during that period of time. I could see him trying to do something and failing to do it because this is the father of dragons we're talking about. Yeah. But to do nothing seems odd. Yeah. Um I agree. Here's that I got on my copy of the text while you were talking because you're right and I agree with you and Steve. Here's the thing that's weirdest to me about just leaving him behind enemy lines, right? Again, as you say, it's no problem for him, right? But it's a problem for the Feanorians. It's a problem for Mithros because um, I'm going to the beginning of the Neuronithonodiad chapter, like right after the Baron and Luthien story. Okay, so the first paragraph of this chapter is the end of the Baron and Luthien story, right? But right after that, um, we get, in those days, Mithros, son of Theanor, lifted up his heart, perceiving that Morgoth was not unassailable, right? Like, the story after starts with Mithros, right? Um, and if we don't do anything about Glauron one way or another, then Mithros, our, sto- our Mithros story... Um, you know, which is one of the big Mithra stories, right, which is going to culminate uh, tragically in the Nirnathernodiad, um, is has to begin with, okay, Mithra's takes heart. Morgoth is not assailable. So, step one, let's finally kick that dragon out of the, like, yeah, I mean, like, really? Like, the all, we know that they took losses, you know, um, like, tactical losses, not just losses of, 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 of soldiers, but like tactical losses, ground losses, um, and the enemy comes through the passes and stuff over there on the side. But we also are told in the text, and I think it makes perfect sense and sets up the near knife importantly, that Mithros reconsolidates it after the battle, right? You know, the, the, the Fanorians recover. And there is no definition of recovery that can include, but there's a dragon in Cape Elephorn, right? I mean, like that, yeah. that, that can't. So sooner or later, if he doesn't just leave for some reason of his own, right, or of Morgoth's, they have to deal with him. And it's either sooner or it's later. And later feels weird. Like, on the one hand, I don't... I, my vote would not be, would be against having the Feanorians deal with the dragon. Because that's a big old story. Right? I mean, we're going to have to do that somehow. We're not going to have time to have, like, a dragon eviction from Keep Helvorn, howsoever we contrive it. It's going to take a significant chunk of an episode, at least, to do that. Yeah. And how is that going to fit in the whole rest of the story? Not to mention it, in my opinion, kind of um, makes Kelagorman Kurafin extra weird. Right, we have them in Margathron. Why? Yeah, exactly. If Mithros is like calling up a posse to evict, why are his brothers being like, "It's okay, we're busy causing trouble down here in Nargathron. We can't be bothered." Like that's super weird, right? So, Mm -hmm. I, 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 I I think, and again, so it's going to take too much time. But I don't Mm. want it to happen next season either. I mean, we could theoretically be like episode one, the eviction of the dragon. Like it's theoretically possible, but I don't. It doesn't feel like it fits in that season exactly murray what are you thinking the issue the issue with leaving the dragon where he is 
through the end of this season is that, as you point out, it doesn't quite work with the story of the Feanorians in East yeah. Beleriand. Yeah. But our story with Baron and Luthien is also going to end in East Beleriand, and they're going to move to Assyrian, this place of peace where they're w- far removed from the war to the north. If there's a dragon in Keep Hellevorn <laughs> and there's nothing between the dragon and Assyrian, like yes. that does change the end of our story a bit. It oh, it's worse. It's worse than that. You know who's living with the green elves right now? Caranthir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, not in Assyrian, but until right. un, like until we find a better place for him to be, like home. Right. Right. Doing some doing some reconstruction projects. Yes. No, I agree. We can't have yeah, Carinthier floating around. Talk about changing the dynamics of the region. Um yeah. So there's some narrative problems though. There and are some narrative This problems. has been the thing that I've been really wrestling with because if we do it too early in the season, right? It feels like we're setting up that there we're gonna tell a story about Glaurung yeah. and if we don't do that, now we have a problem. If we do it too late in the season, then again, why was nobody interested in doing anything about this? Right. You know, Mithras goes ahead and, and you know, we're told in the text that he re- he regains control of the Pass of Anak and um, the, um, the, gap, the Gap of Maglor. Yeah. Right? Relatively quickly. We're told that that happens. And yes. I believe that that happens because the because all of the soldiers that took those areas had to move westward to consolidate their power because they had a stranglehold on Dorthonian and they wanted to make sure they consolidated that. Yeah. Um, and you're right that having the Feanorians go after um, go after him feels a little weird too. But there is another faction to consider, and I'd like to at least float this. I don't know how good it is. But we do have another storyline that we were considering talking about of some people who might take an interest in Keep Helivorn being dragon-free. And that's the dwarves. We were thinking of a dwarf plotline. And it would be kind of interesting to kind of and and we'd have to be very very careful and coy with this but to kind of presage the quest for Erebor and not only that but set up the dwarf on dragon action in the near Nith Arnoidiad as well right yes yeah yeah, yeah. their their particular enmity of them exactly yeah we 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 prepare for that um Yes. I guess, first of all, I like the idea of the dwarves evicting him better than I like the idea of Mithros doing it. Just, again, because it complicates Kelgorn and Kurafin, it um, makes it a bigger storyline, right? I mean, come on, let's face it. The dwarves have always been the C-plot in our show so far. Like, they've never not been the C-plot. 
right? So, like, <laughs> no one who's been paying attention is going to expect that to be a major storyline when we introduce the dwarves there. Um, but it does set up some work for later on. So I like it better. My fear is that anybody actually evicting the dragon is going to take time. Like, it's going to be, it's going to take time to do. I mean, it's going to, and we have so little time in this season for all the things that we need to do. Um, however much time it's on, but I feel also guilty criticizing this idea because I don't have a better idea. I have literally no idea what to do with Glaurung because I mean, the, the, the other option, right, is to have him recalled, right, to have him recalled. But I'm sorry, that's a problem too. It's a problem too because where is he then? Right? Where is he then? It's he can cross distance pretty quickly, so he would have to be recalled really late in the season for him not to be an Angband when Baron and Luthien get there. Right? I mean, we'd have to just leave him in Hellborn for like a long period of time, and then he gets recalled. I, I, I don't want to. If he gets put to sleep by like the outskirts of you know the outer ripples of Luthien's sleep spell. Like, that's a bad look for Glaurung yeah. of the, you know, Turin story. Like, he's kind of a bigger deal than that. It, it, it would lessen him. We'd risk lessening him, right? Um, anyway, I, I, it's awkward. And he can't, if he's called back to be a guard, why is he not guarding? And what's the point of Karkaroth, right? I mean, we need Karkaroth anyway, right? Right. The idea of recalling him as a guard would be after Karkaroth. After Karkaroth, right. Okay. Right. right. So, so that at that point in the season, and it would be to show that here's Morgoth being like, oh no, I just got attacked in my own home. I'm feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> and my door yeah. ward, my real fancy wolf, is now like running wild somewhere. Right. I need a right. new door ward. Hey, Glorong, time for you to come back. Right. Which would mean that it would have to be in the penultimate, if not the final episode of the season. Right, it would be around the time of the hunt for the wolves, so the penultimate yeah, right. episode of the season. And um, it solves the problem of being a fast thing, because all Morgoth has to do is say, come back, and he comes back. back. And he comes back, yeah. yeah but agreed. it does not solve the problem of, so he was sitting there for seven years. Right. But it does get him out of there by the end of the season, which still fixes mm. the overall and the, I mean, it's only been a handful of years. So, I mean, I know it's a bad look to leave him sit there for a whole season, but a whole season this time is seven years instead of like 400 years. Yeah, right? but that doesn't that doesn't matter in, because it's the same to the viewer. It's the same amount of time. I know. They can tell each other that, you know, you know, people on the on the message boards will be telling telling each other. No, it's actually it's only been seven years. It's not that big a deal. Why, <laughs> you know, why are you freaking out about this? Right. But someone will. But I, yeah, that's but, still but, the way. But where like forget about forget about why he weaves. Where does he go? Where does he go? Well, he ends up in Angban ultimately. Yeah, but if we can't have him there when Baron and Luthien get there, and I think we really don't want him there, and he's yeah. not, I mean, if it, that means we need a third place for him. Like, not Angband and not Helivorn. And if so, where and why? And what, what implicate, I mean, I'm looking at the map, right? And I'm like, where can we send him? 
I mean, we'd have to come up with a reason. Coming up with a reason is is easier than coming up with a place to send him that's not going to mess up other places in the plot. We can't send him south because that makes obviously much, much worse the problem. We need Assyrian right. to be where, where you know, the peaceful place. Yeah. So obviously he can't go south, right? We can't send him anywhere near Doriath because he's not part of the Doriath story and we don't want to... Yeah, so we can't send him towards can, Doriath. Can Sauron uh, call him over to Dorthonian to help him wreck the place and turn it into Tarnifuan? That's the only other thing that I was just going to suggest. Dorthonian, when Baron leaves, which is pretty early on, right? Um, mm-hmm. Dorthonian is now free ground. Um, as far as like, we don't need it for anything. He can, he can, he can wreck the joint. He could live there. Yeah, he could turn it into Crazy Town because it's not yet been Crazy Town, right? In fact, that's a really interesting idea. The more I think about this, the more interesting this is because later on, Tarnufuin, right? We're told later on that Tarunufuin is this, like, psychotropic location, right? It's not just a dark and scary forest. It's a dark and scary forest with seriously psychotropic uh, uh, effects upon a person, right? I mean, it's, it is Merkel. It drives you crazy. It drives you crazy. It drives you crazy. It is, it is, it is the original inspiration of Merkwood. I mean, it, like, literally was Merkwood. Tolkien used some of his drawings of Tarnufuin to illustrate Merkwood in The Hobbit. Like, it's, it's, it's the same place in his mind, right? Like, the, um, and... Merkwood always had that, like, not just dark, dangerous, and pathless, but, like, spooky and rivers that make you lose your mind and, and uh, you, know, uh, you know, the evil spiders and whatever. Um, Taunufuin is described in these ways. We don't have, and Tolkien doesn't provide a, an origin story for Taunufuin. Right? We know that Dorthonian used to be a reasonably nice place, right? Well, it's supposed to be after Sauron flees from being defeated by Huon. So when Sauron hangs out there, it's supposed to turn it into Tarnifon. Now, he doesn't have a story with it, but... Right, right, right. The cause is meant to be Sauron. Right. Just like Mirkwood is the necromancer. The necromancer, right, exactly. Again, same place. Um, uh, Again, even arguably... There are places, well, um, John Ratliff argues in the history of The Hobbit that there are moments when it, it seems like in Tolkien's mind, Mirkwood was like literally Tarnufuin, um, like it was actually the same place. Um, but whatever. The point is, they're, yes, they, they were very closely tied. We weren't going to have Sauron hang out in Tarnufuin for very long, if at all. Right. We had other jobs for because we can't what we don't want. Um, yeah, we're Tolkien, sending him east. Over right, the mountains. We're sending him east. Tolkien can kind of vaguely send Sauron to Taranufuin and not we not hear from him for a really long time. Right. Uh, in the published Silmarillion, um, because in the published Silmarillion or rather at the time in which he was writing many of the texts that were collected into the latter half of the published Silmarillion, Sauron wasn't Sauron yet, exactly. So he wasn't... Um, Tolkien did not feel himself to be under any obligation to keep track of him as a character in the same way that we do uh, because of the role that Sauron has in the film story as our closet uh, 
main character throughout the entire show. Anyway, um, so we're doing something else with the anyway. Point is, we don't have an origin story for Town of Fuin. There's a job to be done that Glaurung could be doing. I'm, 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 I'm kind of a little bit liking this idea. Um, we don't have to talk about it in this season. Like, we don't have to do it. We don't have to do Tower of Fuin in this season, right? But if we send him to Dorthonian, and then in Season 7, we talk about Tower of Fuin at the beginning of Season 7, right? All, some, all we have to do is have somebody be like, oh man, like, Dorthonian seriously gone downhill as a piece of real estate, right? Like, Tower of Fuin, this place is, you know, we can have somebody give it the name of Tower of Fuin, right, in the beginning of Season 7. Um, and we know that Glaurung was sent there. I, I, I don't know. I mean, if we don't, we kind of need to come up with another reason why Tower Nifilin becomes Crazy Town, right? Because um, we don't really have one of those. Origin story, I mean, for it. Um, by whose power is Tower Nifilin? Does it make cra- folks crazy when they go there? Okay. Um, so... My okay, and this may be completely baseless, but my understanding has always been that it's that it has to do with the border of Sauron's power versus Melian's. Well, that's Nendon Gortheb. Okay, that's Nendon. Yeah, Nendun but Gortheb. he's not. But he's not. But well, okay. So we've we've basically changed that uh, for all intents and purposes. Um. See, the thing is, like, what would Glaurung be doing to make that happen? He's known to poison things and to destroy them. So if he's poisoning the water and the land and the air and everything in the in the area that he's been traveling through, then he's creating this miasma of sickness over the whole land, I guess. Um I'm not saying that that's necessarily a thing that Tolkien did with him, but no, it, it's not and completely outside of the realm of his character. The other thing, yeah, it, well, I, 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 I agree very strongly with that last statement. Um, in fact, I'd go further. I mean, the effect that we see him having on people like Neonor's um, amnesia, right? Um, uh, the way that he manipulates Turin, right? Um, uh, Glaurung has (laughs) psychotropic effects on people, right? I mean, uh, and so therefore there is a a certain resonance between, between, now again, like, what is the mechanism? Like, by what mechanism does he infuse, like, his spirit of malicious, you know, crazy, like, his malicious crazy-making spirit into... The region, I don't know, but, uh, you know, I don't know because I'm not like a big magic evil dragon, um, so I don't know his trade secrets. But um, but it doesn't seem to me at all like a thing he wouldn't or couldn't do. And it does seem to fit with what we see him do to people. And it's not the same thing, but but it's it's in the category of things. So so my my issue is that Glaurung 
whenever Glaurung does something to somebody mentally, it's always very targeted. Yeah. It's not like he doesn't do like an AOE. There's a, a befouling yep. AOE, right? That sure. That he creates. Sure. So I, I feel like there's there's a separation there. Whereas, like, Tower Nufuan feels like an ugly mirror of the Girdle of Melian. Right, it, and it, and it seems like it's intent, like intentionally so. Um, yes, which feels a lot more like a Sauron thing. Well, um, maybe. I mean, yeah, I can see that. But but okay. So, uh, I mean, I agree with you about his focused. The fo- I mean, yeah, like we see him uh, exerting that power in very focused ways, right? With. Uh, Neonor, you know, and Turin and such. But, um, but I mean, those are like just those specific examples, right? That doesn't mean he can't do more. Besides which, I would say this. Back to befouling, right? What does that mean? Um, remember Olmo's words to Tuor, right? Like, we hear from Olmo and through Olmo the 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 power his power is receding because it's been a like Glaurung's what Glaurung does is more than just like when he defiles the things it's more than it's like it's more than dirt it's more even than disease it's there's there's um there seems to me to be a greater power. Again, like almost suggests that his power is withdrawing from the land because of what Glaurung has done, you know? And so that suggests to me that he has a pretty significant AOE potential there. Right. Um, And what if that's part of, what if that's part of the goal? Right. What if that's part of the goal? I mean, Omo specifically, Olmo and Olmo's... I mean, look at... Look at the River Syrian, right? We know the River Syrian is really important to Olmo, right? And that... And Olmo says that his, like, influence in the land is linked to the River Syrian, right? And the River Syrian... I mean, of course, there are, like, lots of rivers that lead into it, right? Um, But Rivel's Well up here in Taranufuan is like the springs of Syrian, right? One of the springs. Again, there are all these other rivers that flow into it. But um, uh, the sources of... and But even the other rivers that flow into Syrian, right? Um, the Mindeb, the Isgalduin, right? Uh, the, you know, the northern branch of the river Aros here, right? They, they all come from Darthonian. Anyway, what I'm suggesting is what he could be recalled to here, the job that Glaurung could be given, the Taranufuan crazy town, right, that people observe, could only be the visible tip of the iceberg of what Morgoth and Glaurung, you know, with Glaurung as his instrument, what Morgoth's trying to accomplish here. Big picture, we could be looking at a chess match between Morgoth and Olmo whom Morgoth knows is the one who is primarily acting uh, to oppose him, right? 
and Morgoth we know is distributing his spirit and expelling his spirit in order to, to and it's it, it, through Glaurung um, very significantly as well as others um, and like obviously what I'm describing here like this chess match with Olmo concept is not one where you're ever going to talk about on screen right but it's another it's it, it makes sense to me um, when again when I'm trying to a- ask the question like why does Taranufuan become you know Taranufuan like why does Dorthonian become Taranufuan if we're not, if it's not Sauron because we're moving Sauron else we're moving him along because we have another job for him and he needs to get to it pretty quickly right if the Easterlings are going to be prepped to come across the mountains relatively early like by the middle of the next season he's got work to do over in the east if we're going to make him do that and I like that plan um, then we need another reason why Dorthonian is going to become Taranufuan and I think Glaurung it works it works um, so first of all um, Steve uh, how would a Maya level spirit be able to undermine a Vala well several answers to that question number one um, it's not it's the power of Morgoth uh, the, the, I mean he would be but you know he would be but Morgoth's instrument uh, in this um, a but sec- wheel. yeah but secondly it's not like almost almost like a secret agent here right he's not this is not like Glaurung and Olmo going toe to toe right um, I Right. If, if Glaurung has access to the sources of the river, then Glaurung can affect the river despite Olmo's right. will in the situation. Yeah, he's not arm wrestling Olmo, right? The point is, the river Syrian is like the postern door through which Olmo and his power are able to sneak into Beleriand and help to undermine Morgoth's cause. And Morgoth is like we need to stop the leak. The River Syrian is a problem. The River Syrian is proving a problem, right? Because it's like, you know, the River of Olmo, and he's making himself a problem. Because we don't want to arm wrestle him, and we don't need to arm wrestle him, let's just screw up the River Syrian, right? And if we do that, then his, not he himself will be weakened, he's over in Valinor, Right? But his access to Beleriand is going to be thwarted, um, and uh, we're not going to let him. We're not going to let him carry on in this sneaky, dream-sending, messenger-sending kind of way that he's been doing. Right. Um, so, so again, it's 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 too simplistic to say that like they're fighting against Olmo. It's not exactly what's happening. Um, what is the thing you dislike most about the idea of having Glaurung and Dorthonian, Nick? I can tell you're unhappy. I, I mean, it's you find ways to make this stuff work, obviously, but I think it just like why is Sauron suddenly teaming up with Glaurung? When does this happen? Like, does Sauron this, doesn't this need happen to. after. So, so Morgoth sends him into the area that he pre- previously 
Uh, oh, granted Sauron's, to, Sauron's fiefdom, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So without uh, now, of course, this could happen after Sauron's, Sauron's defeat fall. at the hands of Luthien, yeah. which makes a certain amount of sense. Like, oh well, you can't control it, but then that completely takes Sauron out of the Tower Nifuin equation. Yes, right. And actually, I quite like that. Here's why I quite like that because it suggests. We were introducing at the very end of season five a split between Morgoth and Sauron, right? Mm. Um, if after, so if we're starting season six with, you know, I give unto, you know, you take Tolsirian, I give unto you Dorthonian to be your fiefdom, it looks like Sauron's in the, in the captain's chair now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's making his move. We can suspect we hope that the viewers will suspect that he's now kind of playing his own game instead of just being the good soldier that he was always was before. Right. But now he gets taken down by the elf girl and her dog. And now he's defeated. Um, now, almost all of his captains are gone. No, all without exception of his captains are gone. Um, she hope doesn't count because she is not. She's a free agent. Um, but anyway, Thoringwethel, Drugluin, uh, Tevildo, who else? That's it, right? Am I forgetting one? I feel like I'm forgetting one. No? That's it. Anyway, they're all dead. His captains are all dead, right? Uh, so Sauron's posse is dead. He's been defeated. His great triumph of taking Tolsirian has been um, semi-neutralized, right? I mean, they can't, the good guys don't take it back because it gets destroyed but still like it's uh the stranglehold that he had over you know the entrance into Beleriand is gone um anyway at that point it would make all kinds of sense and by showing more by showing Morgoth saying okay Glaurung I need you to take over Dorthonian it it widens the gap right now we see Morgoth saying okay maybe you know Sauron's out Sauron's out Glaurung's in and that helps to set up the Glaurung as Dragon King of Beleriand in season, you know, eight or whatever. And I mean, that would be another example of Morgoth taking something of Sauron's away from him. Again. Yes. Again. But again. my question then would be, how does Glaurung feel about all this? Because he is quite content and happy sitting on his pile of treasure in his little fortress yeah. of his own. If he wanted yeah. to be king of something, he would be king of Keep Hellborn. <laughs> Right. So, but maybe this is when he develops the taste for having for having this leadership role rather than just being the a weapon. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He um he he liked it. He would be pulled away reluctantly, but Morgoth clearly does not want Glaurung holding up sleeping on that pile of treasure. I mean, as Timothy was suggesting on, on YouTube there, um uh, Morgoth needs the dragon to be out and about doing things, not sleeping on a big pile of treasure in literally the corner of nowhere, right? Um, right. Completely out of the... I mean, being a slight annoyance behind enemy lines for Mithros's defensive purposes, um, but that's a small gain compared to what Glaurung could accomplish for Morgoth if he's actually, you know, ambulatory. So, right. um, so Mor- you can see why Morgoth would be like, um, you know stop playing around with your heap of treasure and get over here. But I do like that idea of like, and Glaurung never forgot the heap of treasure. And like, he's saying like, I shall obey, 
but one day I am I going to fly. get an even bigger and better pile of treasure, and doggone it, I am going to sit on that treasure. Like, this is when Glaurung's plan starts, where he was like, okay, now um, I, I liked that. I like that. We've only seen him be a weapon. He's just been like a siege weapon to this point, right? But now he's like, okay, this is the good life, right? This is like not new five-year plan for Glaurung, right? New mm-hmm. vision for his future is to establish himself as king and get a big, sweet pile of treasure for himself, right? So over the course of this season, Morgoth is going to cost himself both Sauron and Glaurung, both of whom were more or less loyal subjects when the season opened. Yeah, I think that yeah, that's what I bad can, guys do. You know, like I they're not good. At, you can make it worse. I okay, like make it. it worse. Oh yeah, I can yeah. make it worse. Okay, so check this out. So there's, isn't there something about Tower of Like even the orcs don't want to go there, right? But it yeah. seems counterproductive for Morgoth to put Glaurung there and for Glaurung to not to make it so that no soldiers want to be around there. But I can think of someone who might want to accomplish that goal and might want to do it underhandedly. Someone who might find themselves in the area near, more or less near Gondolin um, during the fall of Gondolin who, who could accomplish a task that would resolve the tension between him and Gothmog and that's Sauron. What if Sauron takes umbrage at this enough to start actively undermining the other underlings? Right? Now it's not just a rivalry with Gothmog. Now he's actively trying to undermine not Morgoth himself, but those that that Sauron deems unworthy of of the 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 power right okay so wait are are you suggesting glauron goes to dorthonian and then sauron goes to undermine him yes okay because because you know it it just seems like the sauron we've been building might take this because we we saw him kind of already starting to ideologically split with Morgoth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the very least, at the beginning of this season, he is the only one that Morgoth can really depend on until he gets beat up by a little girl and her dog. Yes. Right? And then all that gets stripped away from him. Yes. Like, by the end of the season. But if he starts directly undermining people like Glaurung and then also undermining Gothmog, Right, that allows us to start setting up the resolution of his because he's eventually going to rise to the top, right? Even Morgoth, it isn't going to be there. He's going to be the Dark Lord eventually, right? And to start detailing that, I think might be really interesting. Okay, so I'm trying to understand. We have time or opportunity. Not in this season. Not in this season. Definitely not in this season. But even afterwards, because Sauron's going to have his own plot going on during the Near Ninth, and so is Glaurung. Glaurung's not going to stay in Dorthonian through the Near Ninth. So what you're talking about would have to happen in Season Mm 7. And 
I think Sauron's really busy with Easterlings in season seven. Um, right. So it would have to. Ha- I'm. I, I'm thinking even not even thinking of seasons, but thinking of storylines. Like we need Tower Nuf- The first time we need Tower Nufuin to be Tower Nufuin is in the Turin story, right? The rescue of Turin and the death of Beleg. That's in Tower Nufuin when Tower Nufuin was Tower Nufuin, right? Like that's the first time we need it to be what it will become. Honestly the only time we actually need it, right? And we could use it in other times, perhaps, but that's the only time we absolutely need it. So I agree with Marie that we need him over with the Easterlings, but once the Easterlings come over, he... After the battle, after the Nearknife, Sauron's at loose ends again. Right. Right? We need something to do, something for him to do between um, the Nearknife... And the like the second age, (laughs) and at that point, yes, undermining any other people who are his peers would be his goal. So yeah, at post near night, that is Sauron. Yeah, post near night. I just I was like, we can't do it pre near night. We can't. We can't do it pre near night. Yeah, I agree. We have bigger things for him to do. If he, if he, in his mind at least, strikes the blow that wins the near night, right with the Easterlings, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, tr- the, the treasure. Right. Yeah. If he if he if he believes that he is solely responsible for their victory and he does not get recognized for that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's fallen out of favor. Gothmog can brag all he wants about killing Fingans, the who's the High King. So. Right. Gothmog doesn't care that Sauron sweet talks me Sterlings into betraying right. people. Right. Right. And right. and captured the mightiest human to ever exist ever. Um. Yes, yes. Um. I'm. Um, sorry, I, I was just thinking of, of course, that wonderful line. Um, Yet neither by wolf nor by Balrog nor by dragon would Morgoth have achieved his end, but for the treachery of men. And I'm imagining this like Sauron, like this big, huge fist pump, right? Like, yeah, you know it, right? Totally my, yeah. Uh, And now Gothmog would, as you say, he has reason to brag, right? He could very well come out feeling very good about himself. Like, I killed the High King. I totally won the day. But Sauron knows that they probably still would have lost if it had not been for his thing. Morgoth probably knows that too, but that's going to be complicated now between him and Sauron. Right. Um, anyway, no, yeah, that's true. Like that's a, it's a, it's a big deal. Um, we probably could do Tower of Fuin. Here's my other thought though. Nah. My other question was, what if um, we were talking about, of course, the other obvious job that Glaurung has to do, that he has to get himself to doing at some point, is begetting dragons, right? Like, you know, they don't, they don't, the, the title Father of Dragons is not the title they, you know... Give away, right? You've got you've you got to do something to earn that one, right? Um, so, um, one thought I had was, what if Dorthonian becomes the place where the dragons grow up? What if that becomes the land of baby dragons, right? Um, remember, 
the dragons come over the mountains into Gondolin, right? When in the fall of that's the first time we need a bunch more dragons is in mm. the fall of I mean, there, we only need dragons in two more uh, other than Glaurung, right? In two spots, right? We have to have dragons at the fall of Gondolin and we have to have dragons, of course, at the last battle, the winged dragons. Um, what if the non winged offspring of Glaurung live in Dorthonian and therefore can be kind of whistled up and come on, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just now. I kind of like. I I I I sort of like your Sauron in Tower Nufu and um, like Sauron as like uh, what um, uh, saboteur right in Tower mm. Nufu and idea a lot, um, and the way in which the orcs themselves are afraid of it is kind of cool. Like, especially with Sauron's history with the orcs that we've made, I kind of, it's like his animosity towards Gothmog and his resentment about what Morgoth did with the orcs is manifested in what he does to Tower Nufuin. And that, that to me seems like a really elegant point, And I like that. Um, I was just kind of thinking it might be fun to have baby dragons around in Dorthonian, but I was, I was just thinking how horrifying it would be if what is causing the befoulment of the rivers is the breeding of the new breeding. dragons. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like, um, that's got, like, Glaurung's an abomination. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and he's surely, filling, yeah, filling the land with other abominations, and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Through what unholy method? I dare not ask. No, we needn't what show it. Not something we have any intention of depicting on screen, no. so it's fine. <laughs> exactly. Leave that to the viewer's imagination. Yes, I do. I'm I'm already disturbed. Uh, yeah, I, I have disturbed. a friend who I have yeah. a friend who recently obtained a bearded dragon um, from, like you know, buying a used baby dragon, as you do, like you and, do, right? <laughs> um, exactly. It was put up for sale as a male bearded dragon, but the person who had it apparently doesn't know much about lizards. <laughs> And um, so it definitely was obtained and was, this is clearly a female bearded dragon. And uh, recently was x-rayed by the vet to determine, yep, there's definitely eggs inside. <laughs> so, so there we go. Yeah. We have, a, a, yes, we could, uh, we could obtain pictures. Um, I, that's an interesting idea. Um, Cause it's an interesting idea. One of the things I like about the idea, Nick, is as you said, that that idea of abomination, right? Um, mm. The offspring of Glaurung. This is not about like. Let's make it right, Steve. Exactly. We we don't want adorable, cute baby dragons. Uh, that's not what I mean. No, of course, it's, right? It's horrified. I bet you Hor- they're slimy and gross. I, I I'm imagining like Rivel's Well becoming this like stinking like maggot ridden like looking like a ma- like the little like 
I don't know, larval dragons squirming around like maggots. Like it, Basically, the idea, though, is that he's an abomination and the abomination is spreading. Like he is. Yeah. And and that, again, it seems to me the, what That's I like why about the orcs that, don't want to go there. The orcs don't want to go there. But but I don't want to lose the Taranufuanishness of Taranufuan either. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's just it's such an abomination that it starts to break reality. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. well, and it's like, it's it becomes this like metaphysical thing, right? Like to oppose yes. the metaphysical influence of Olmo, right? I mean, it's, that's it's like Cthulhu. Like, yeah, <laughs> well, it's unholy. Like, yeah. the River Syrian is the holy river in a sense to Olmo, right? I mean, it's there's a there's a sacredness about the River Syrian um, because of Olmo. Um, so how do you unsanctify a river? You don't dirty it. It's not even about disease. It's not even about poison. Right. Um, yeah, the pools of Ivern definitely is put forth as a location that is, yes, imbued with power and characteristics it, yes. associated with Olmo. But yes, yes, it's a holy spot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I know that Tolkien moved away from using words like Thane after he finished writing Lost Tales, but right. yes, right. <laughs> the pools yes. of Ivern for sure is. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so it does. That's that's what I'm liking, um, you know, Nick, about your abominable offspring of dragon idea, because it seems like a horrible but fitting counter to that the kind of holiness, the kind of sacredness of Syrian to. And again, like the in a sense that that idea of holiness, that idea of sacredness, it's about uh, in that idea of a sacred place like the pools of Ivrin. It's about like this is the this is um, this is a spot where, you know, the Valar, where like the holy ones make contact with the like that. That whole idea of sacredness is about the idea of like the transcendent making contact with like a, a touch point right between yeah. uh, you know the transcendent and the physical. Um, this is again this is like an entry point for Olmo into mm-hmm. Beleriand um, to reverse that, to oppose that um, Morgoth would have a plan, right? And again, it's not just about, it's not rearranging the furniture. You don't just mess it up. You know, you don't just um, you know, you don't just pee in the water, right? Um, uh, like that's not what happened to the pools of Ivrin is far worse than that, right? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. And we can save Sauron as like underground nuisance for um, like Fall of Gondol and stuff. Because uh, I, yeah. I do, I've been pushing for that for years now that, it, you know, that I'd like to tie up the Glaur- the, the Sauron Gothmog rivalry in a neat little bow um, in some way. Oh, with the death of Gothmog and Gondolin, you mean? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, um, hmm, quick question. But we can work that out. <laughs> quick question. If we... I know I'm thinking way down the road now, but it, it relates to what we're setting up here, so I might as well ask it. If we're imagining him returning to Ta- Sauron, returning to Dorthonian and Taranufuan, and we are okay with the idea, we do like the idea of the breeding ground of Glaurung being here and being connected with the fouling of the sources of Syrian, do we establish a role? Like, 
is Sauron going to like recruit the offspring of Glaurung into a new posse? Like, is he the one in charge of the dragons, or does he have sway over the dragons when they like? Does he do work there with the dragons there, or are they just separate there in Dorothonian? Um, Not necessarily, but he could. We could use him to show that it's happening. Because see, the like, other have thing... him have him find. Mm-hmm. Rivel's right. well, like, I, and I feel like he actually might be mortified, right? Even, right? Um, yeah, like this is beyond. This is uh, this, this is, is wholly unnecessary. Yeah, like this breaking not, reality is not. This is, this is not cricket. Like this is not. This is, this is not okay. Um, the other, th- the other thing, of course, I'm thinking. As always, fun to play the long game, and I'm thinking about Smaug. Right, um, Sauron, Smaug, potential alliance. Right, so uh, him having a history with <clears throat> dragons uh, and establish. I'm not saying he needs like a pet dragon, but um, if uh, he's sitting there in no Tarnifu more than and... Shelob is his pet, right? Right, right. A a an established working relationship of some sort. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking he, if he's going to be sitting in Tarnifu and the baby dragons are going to be like a resource, you know, near at hand to him. I don't know. We can, we can, we'll, we'll, it's, I'm just, if we're going to go this way, we need to make sure we want them cohabitating, you know, cause he's going to have, he's going to have baby dragons in his, in his backyard. If he's going to set up in town to Fuin later on. So, um, okay. So, Glaurung is going to, after the fall of Sauron after the fall of Sauron it can be right after the fall of Sauron right? The news of the fall of Sauron comes to Morgoth and he's like great, right? Sauron's fired Glaurung get to Dorthonia <laughs> right? Like we've got to consolidate this place and in fact and, and, and you know in fact um Glaurung, Sauron was getting all distracted with his own little, like, necromantic plots. Um, go to Dorthonian and wreck the place. And when I say wreck the place, I mean wreck the place on a metaphysical level, right? Besides, P.S., I want more dragons, <laughs> right? So um, let's make this happen. I now kind of want the fell beasts to be undead dragons. <laughs> I mean, that's a long, that's a long gap. Didn't see that coming. Didn't see that coming. Um, But, yeah. Um, Yeah, well, this would happen somewhere in the episode 8-9 range. Um, Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I think we can afford to keep him in Lake Helivorn for a while. Again, if if we just leave him there all season and then at the end we're like, oh, P.S., he leaves... That feels weird to me, but um, yeah. I mean, at the very least, if I'm Mithros, dealing with the dragon is on my task list. Yeah, but I can I could forgive Mithros for doing other things first, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, um, you know, to like like first, let's consolidate everything else that we have, right? Like we're because we're starting with just him ring. So like let's let's go and let's like I gotta I gotta try to get people together. Um maybe he gets Karanthir and Amras together. 
right? Mm. Uh, and, you know, starts where, and he's like, you know, where did Calgon and Kurvin go? <laughs> right? Um, he anyway. can he can make a passing message mention of like if somebody brings up the dragon which they should he can make a passing mention of how their allies their new allies the dwarves are working on sure on something specifically to combat him um because they in fact do <laughs> right well, honestly if we have morgoth handling the removal of the dragon from kipelavarn I'm not sure that Mytheros ever needs to appear on screen this season. And I mean, I'm not saying that because I don't like the guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I realize that's a self-sacrificial gesture on your part there, Marie. It is. Um, um, yeah. But, but I think I mean, you're wrong. <laughs> next next season is obviously the Mytheros and Fingen show, and that'll be great. But I'm not sure we need to check in with Mythros if we've dealt with the one problem that is in his territory without him being there. We might have a reason for him to be on screen with the Kelligorm Kurofin situation, either in the before or aftermath of that, but if not, like, we don't need him. Well, that I, I would I would argue that not showing him at all is weird. Well, we're not going to show Thinking at all. Uh, I don't he's know the that, High King. Uh, yeah, but I'm not entirely comfortable with that either. Um, right. The you know we these are major characters in our story, and to leave them completely out in the cold while we tell the story of one brand new character we've just met and one kind of side character over there in Doriath like it just seems a little iffy well, i mean now. it's not like we need excuses to focus on baron and luthien uh right no, no, but no. but yeah I, i'm yeah. talking about yeah. for the viewer of the show not for right. for you know lover of tolkien right sure. um sure. but you know like if if there's no opportunity to put him in that's not the end of the world but i think that he does kind of have because we, we have to answer the question of why Kelgorm and Corfin don't go home. Like, there's a whole bunch of reasons why we'd want to at least have something from him and so that we know what the status of East Valerian is. Oh, we can definitely talk <laughs> about East Valerian, and I'm fine with characters talking about what Fingen's up to or what Mithras is up to. Mm. I'm just saying, do we need to actually set a scene in East Valerian? And unless we have a dwarf storyline over there, it's looking like the answer to that is no right now. I do like the setup with Glaurung, especially the because um, we do have like the dwarves have been working on anti dragon technology, right? Um, with the dwarf masks, which are going to enable them to fight off Glaurung in the near night. Um, right. So we could show the dwarves trying to get the dragon out and not going getting anywhere with it, and then later having Morgoth recall him anyway. By the way, you you know that that's going to be all would be all kinds of awkward if the dwarves evicted, because you know what would happen when if the dwarves evicted Glaurung, they'd be like, "Oh, Carthy, what treasure? 
did you, you said there was treasure here? No, they're like, yeah, they're like, yeah, there's treasure we've here, got, and it's our brain. treasure now. <laughs> like it's it was, our tower now. No <laughs> more toll exactly. road. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're uh, I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a Thorin-esque barrier in front of the door and be like, this be our treasure now. Yeah, I mean, like. There's no way that ends well for Carinthir and his relationship with the dwarves if the dwarves manage to. to oh, I mean, now indeed. I kind of really want that. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, it's it's. Uh, and again, even if when Glaurung leaves, who's the first so, one on 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 the site on site? You know. So the dwarves were trying to evict the dragon, but the dragon is staying put. Then Morgoth recalls the dragon and sends him to Dorthonian. The dwarves immediately move into the tower because they were like camped out. Of course, they were dragon. Yeah. So, yeah. So now we have a situation where Caranthir would like his tower back, and the dwarves are like, "You mean our tower?" <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, how could that not happen? Like, what what alternative could there possibly be? The they dwarves are going to be well, like, "Oh, we're just holding it for you, man." Like, it's all you can have yeah. all your stuff back. Like, no, they wouldn't say that, especially yeah. given the tensions with the way he treated them before. Like, they're you know, it's not like they're so loving and grateful towards him that they're going to be like, "Man, you know, this totally belongs to you. We can't possibly." No, they're going to claim it. But they might come to some sort of agreement that he could have most of the treasure back most of the in, treasure. in return for joint control of Keep Hellevorn moving forward. And I feel like Myra's green lights that immediately. <laughs> right. Karen Thier is like, these guys, they have such nerve. And he's like, they want what? Yeah, no, that's, we're, that's done. We're, we're doing that. Right. And no more tolls, and you know, I think, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, they, they they would have one heck of a bargaining position um, yeah. if yeah. they are squatting in Keep Hellevorn on all of Carinthia's treasure, um, yeah. from which they would be deducting all of the tolls that they paid previously. Detection. Right? Yeah. It's like we're, no, we're 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 retroactively undoing the tolls that we've been paying for several generations since, of dwarves. Since we drove off the dragon. Exactly. With our mere exactly. Because here we are. Mereness. Right. We've been doing. We've been working on this, and now the dragon has got the. What was Carnthor going to prove they didn't drive him off? <laughs> like, how does he know? <laughs> it was their continued pressure. Exactly. They. They. He yeah, knew, he, they the dragon knew they would eventually come back in greater numbers and destroy him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so. Uh, um, they might actually believe that. Yeah. I mean. Like they, they, they scared him off. Obviously, like they, they, you know, when it came to it, he couldn't even he d- wouldn't even face them, right? Um, by the way, can't you see Azakal taunting Glaurung with that? That would be actually really kind of a funny scene, you know, where Azakal is like, um, "Do you dare even to face us this time, Glaurung? Or are you going to run away again?" And Glaurung's like, "Wait, wait, who are you?" <laughs> like, <what? laughs> When, when did this happen? Uh, you know. Um, anyway, yeah. Like that would be um, uh, that would be that would be kind of fun. No, I I, I love that. Here's here's our dwarf plot. No problem. Here we go. No problem. Oh, well, and, that's, and that's the dwarves of Belagast in East Valeriant. Yeah. There, there's other dwarves. In this yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, so I've. Well, there are several possible answers to Steve's question about how does one of the dwarf masks wind up in Nargothrond for Turin to find. Um, and there are several ways. I mean, um, uh, 
there's a, I don't know that we need to even handle that in this season. There's room for that to happen next season. Uh, the the Nurnite is going to involve a lot of troop movements. A lot of things coming together and then scattering afterwards. So that would be easy enough for somebody just has to bring it home from the near knife, basically. Um, so that shouldn't be that hard. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway. Um, yeah, no, kind of kind of loving this. Kind of loving this. I like the connection between the dwarves and Glaurum. Like, we, it's, we, we, Building that is good. It seems so like them to so do like that. Them. Absolutely. Like, we we have all the evidence we need that, that they would 100% do that. And they're probably not going to really think that they can hold Keep Hellevorn against... Like, if if they were just to defy Carinthia entirely, right? They couldn't stand... They know they couldn't stand against his army and Mithras' army and everybody else, Right. Um, right, but they are in a very good bargaining position because they know that Mithras needs them. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, yeah, no, exactly. Um, so they're not going to they're they are incentivized against just like holding up and declaring war against Mithros and company. Right. Because they, that's not really a winnable situation for them. And I'm not even sure how much they'd want it. Right. I mean, like. It's a, like, you know, I mean, it's a they keep and not, everything. Yeah, they might not be real big fans of Karanthir, but right. that doesn't mean that they equate him to Morgoth and Angband. No, like, the doors no. are pretty clear on who they actually want to fight here. Right. Well, and also, I'm, well, again, I'm, I'm just saying, Karanthir or like Keep Hellevorn is like an all like it's not necessarily a real desirable piece of real estate anyway. I mean, it's all above <laughs> ground and everything, and you know, here's. Here's the way. Here's the way it happens. Carinthir doesn't show up at Keep Hellborn. Yeah. The dwarves take possession of Keep Hellborn, and then they send Mithros a letter. And Mithros summons Carinthir and reads out the letter. And Carinthir is like, "Well, we'll show them." And then, and Mithros is like, "No, actually, this seems super reasonable, and right. I think it's great." <laughs> and Carinthir's like uh standing is rather decreased since oh yeah the last like oh, almost all of his dudes are dead like almost all of his dudes are dead his own like i mean seriously like did not cover himself with glory in the battle and especially the aftermath with glaurung himself right. right um uh yeah especially if amros is there who was there with him right i yeah. mean like it's <clears throat> Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the the kind of sort of humiliation of Carinthir that comes along with this is not unpleasant yeah. <laughs> with the storyline. I mean, uh, kind of like in that element of it, the dwarves getting their own back seems fun. Um, uh, establishing the yeah, yeah. Um, now, yeah, establishing the connection with the dwarves and Glaurung, like it, like it. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's um, uh, yeah, okay. So let's do that. Let's do that. I don't. Okay, so time wise, thinking of the time, um, Glaurung gets recalled. 
when does he get recalled? He gets recalled after Sauron's defeat. Yeah. Right, so Sauron gets is defeated middle of the season. So eight or nine, Glauron gets called to Dorthonian, right? To start making with the begetting in Dorthonian. And then that's the point where the dwarves are like, yay, free treasure packed castle. castle. Right? <laughs> this is the best day ever. <laughs> right? A little stinky. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. It needs to be aired out, but you know what? We can work with this. And, and th they send the message to. Yeah, and so then that whole thing playing out with Amras and Caranthir more or less corresponds with the time that Kelegorm and Kurofen are going to try and come home. Yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. So we can right. we can right. work it into that part of the storyline. So we have it all happening in the same episode. And that's true. So we get one Feanorian episode. In fact, we yeah. could we could even like follow Kelegorm and Kurofen home, and after then the have it happen Baron. right yeah. after the Leap of Baron. Right, exactly. Yeah. So they 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 limp themselves home. Only to find the dwarf messenger arriving, you know, with the with the demands. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yes, um, agreed. And them saying, being all like, "Hey, Calgorm, where's your dog?" And him being like, "I don't want to talk about it." Um, speaking of which, that last one, I've been I've been overlooking your last point there. Um, the prophecy of Huan. It, we did make it Glaurung, who overheard that. How does that get out? Well, it gets Glarn, out off screen. He tells yeah. them back at home. Glarn <laughs> wasn't talking on screen in the episode right. in which it happened. So we didn't see him tell anyone or anything like that. And if he's getting recalled right after the defeat of Sauron, that is right about the time that Karkaroth ends up being the guard dog of the Gates of Angband. So if we're going to show the conversation where Morgoth tells him to go to Dorthonian, we could have an oblique reference to it in there somehow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Sauron has to know about it sooner. And it's also true that Leap of Baron and stuff is after, isn't it? After the fall of Sauron? Yeah. So we do need to, but we can, there's time, right? I mean, if, if Glaurung is recalled around episode eight or nine, it doesn't have to be until episode, uh, I, I, I don't know where the Baron and Luthien events map yet exactly. Um, but I think we could have a little bit of time in there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It's going to be tight, but it's we're going to have to. It's going to be challenging. We we only have to have somebody kind of passingly mention it because the um, the the near confrontation between Draglun and um, and Huan at the Dagobragalak kind of suggests that Draglun knows. Right. Um, we have to we have to remind the audience anyway because it was a passing remark made three years ago, right? Um, right? Or however long it's been. And so we kind of have to have somebody mention it and having one of the bad guys mention it to somebody. Like, yeah. maybe having somebody mention it to Gorbal, because I 100% believe that Gorbal hasn't heard that. Right. Right. And then it's right. not a, as you know, conversation, right. which I, right. I am well known for hating. Right, right. Um, yes. Yes. 
Yeah, so the the leap of Baron um, confrontation with Kelligarm and Kurofin is likely going to be in the episode immediately after the defeat of Sauron. So if we are um, defeating Sauron in episode 7, then episode 8 would be Leap of Baron stuff. I'm, um, um, yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be. Well, we'll worry about this when we get to the Baron and Luthien story. I'm a little, I'm a little, that's what, that's the part of the, the timeline that troubles me most, honestly. Uh, because once we get to the fall of Sauron, um, there's so much, right? I mean, there's so much. We've got to save room. We've got to, I mean, Angband, back in Doriath, hunting Karkaroth, over to Mandos. Th- these are huge things that we need, we can't short shrift them for the sake of the Leap of Baron. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, uh, um. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I maybe we got time. We'll we'll see. We'll see. I'm not sure, but um, so I'm not gonna worry about it too much right now. But suffice to say, I think that timeline would work. It would work. Um, because we don't have to have a dwarf demand arriving to Mithros prior to, um, uh, prior to uh, like episode ten. Or something. I mean, it, it could happen f- pretty late in the season. Um, there's really no necessary reason um, uh, why it would have to happen early. Um, in fact, there's no timing needed for it. Like, it doesn't have to happen at, before anything else. It can happen. You know, it's it's the it's the end. So, hey, you know what I'm noticing? We didn't do the next slide, but we did the one after that accidentally. Um, so let's actually. <laughs> I wasn't going to talk about this, probably talk about this tonight, but let's finish this since we've been talking about the dwarves. Stuff. Go dwarves. <laughs> go dwarves. Let's go dwarves. Um, uh, okay. The Nalgomir, that's one of the things I was coming back around to. Um, so, and this, Maria, is what you were hinting at when you were talking about Belagost and Nogrod, right? Because the Nalgomir is a, is a Nogrod product. Okay. Um, so I was also thinking, by the way, this is the other logical way in which we can get, um, uh, in which we can get a dwarf mask down to, uh, Nargothrond, um, on a pilgrimage, basically, like it, it can be given as a gift, um, by a dwarf who comes down in pilgrimage, even if the Nauglamir is a Nogrod thing, that doesn't mean the dwarves of Belgost aren't going to appreciate it, right? I mean... If this thing is a little bit parallel to the Silmarils from a dwarf perspective, then the dwarves of Belagost are going to admire it also, right? Maybe not to the same extent, but it would still be something that there would be some Belagostian dwarf who would be interested in seeing. Anyway, it's possible. Um, uh, are we still thinking of doing a pilgrimage scene? In Nargothrond? There are a couple of ways to handle this. Um, one is to have um, to have a scene with Finrod early, like early in episode one where part of the backdrop of the scene is the is receiving the Malgumir. And then you can have the dwarves show up later to um, on a pilgrimage to see it when we're in, when our main story is now in 
Nargothrond. The problem is, I'm concerned that at this point, it may be too late to to try to imbue the Naglamir with the kind of weight that we're looking to to do. Because it kind of feels a little bit like we're introducing it and telling the audience, hey, by the way, this is super important. Right. When they've never had any chance to develop any kind of attachment to that. Okay. But if not so now, we... then when? <laughs> well, mean... right. Well, well. So here's the deal. We yeah. need to have the Noglamir on screen now because Finrod's about to be dead. Um, but. We're running out of time. Yeah. If only if we're going to keep it as Finrod's thing, I know. But right. my point right. is that was our original plan was to make it Finrod's thing. Uh huh. Yeah. So if but we, we wanted kept to kick do... the can on it, I know. But we do at least have a Nargothrond plot. We're going to be organically in Nargothrond in this right. season. Yeah. So, so, yeah. but here's the thing is if we want to keep the pilgrimage idea, that could be a later development after the death of Finrod. Because Oradreth can keep the Naglamir in Nargothrond in a place of honor. We're going to be in Nargothrond in the Turin storyline, obviously. Yeah. And we're going to want to reintroduce the Naglamir to the audience at that point. So sure. if we want to have a Dorvan pilgrimage to Nargothrond in Turin's time, we could just establish Finrod I... with the Naglamir in this time. And then it will have had time to develop that mythic quality. Mm. Okay. Whereas I kind of agree that if we're like, hey, I got this brand new necklace and like two episodes later, and now there's like caravans of dwarves coming to see my <laughs> brand new necklace. They're like, how'd that happen? Right. <laughs> that was really fun. I like that idea. Like that 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 yeah. passage of time seems fitting. If we introduce yeah. it as this is the I mean we could add it to the um not the abdication scene itself. The, the part where he throws his crown down and, and the departure. it's given yeah. to Oradreth. He gives it to Oradreth. Yeah. yeah. Right. And Oradreth is the... like I'm going to keep this and take special good care of it, right? And he, uh, mm-hmm. and and he, uh, and uh, I, I, no doubt, like you know, Kurofin wants it, right? Noradreth can keep it from him, so we can sort of show it be uh, potential. I, we'll talk about that. We'll get to the Nargothrond stuff, and but uh, it can in, play in way, but, the necklace yeah. itself can play a role in the power politics of Nargothrond that we're working out between Finrod, Oradreth, Kurofin, and in some ways. Nick, this is the perfect time to introduce the Naglamir if we are using it in this way to associate with, like, the power, memory, and splendor of Finrod, introducing it at the end when Finrod leaves, and therefore imbuing it with the specialness of, like, ah, the greatness of Finrod that was, right? If that's associated with the Naglamir from the start, then it's already special in that way, right? We're making it special by... Having so, I mean, basically, we start off with Finrod's got his new necklace, right? So you know, and we 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 can just we can all we have to have that as a you know conversation between him and Oradreth, right? You know, Baron comes yeah. in and he's like, "Hey, dude, see my sweet new necklace, right?" Like anyway, like we establish it as, but it's not just a sweet new necklace, right? This is not just Finrod being like, "I have upgraded my bling in a very serious way," right? This is Finrod. He, it would be symbolic. Right? What is the Nauglamir? The Nauglamir is made of the gems that he brought from Valinor, right? So he it would be for Finrod invested with meaning in like his own connection. Like it would for him it would be like his his memory back to his um you know oh. 
to his time in Valinor, to his girlfriend right. who's know, still like there. And uh uh-huh. used to wear uh-huh. that, that he gave away. Dad, and yeah. it was connection to Valinor, but then he gave it away at the end of Dagger uh-huh. Bragalot because you know someone saved his life. So exactly. he needed to take his remaining jewels and put them in a necklace. And that's why he had the necklace made right now. Well exactly. Okay. So I have a quick question. Um because w- I, it, as I recall, there was an intention to make it some sort of great ancestral thing that the dwarves had made rather than a commission that Finrod cre- um, orders right now. And one way that I think that that could be done is if they tell him that it was made by jewels that he gave them when they when he first established Nargothrond. We did show him gifting jewels in right. that scene to the dwarves who helped build Nargothrond. Right. Because then because then it 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 could have already been around for a while at that point before they give it to him. But I but don't our, our goal isn't to make it old to at the beginning. It doesn't need to our be old. Okay. In fact, that would now will be old by the time Thingol's messing around with it. Right, and it would be, and it would be, it would undermine it a little bit. If 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 Finrod has it as a hand me down, then yeah, I like this idea of us. Again, I think it 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 helps us to give it significance, even like emotional significance to the viewer. If it's mm. connected with Finrod, who's gonna die? Like Finrod's been yeah. a big deal, you know. He was yeah. he was the one of the central characters of the last season, and he's gonna die very dramatically in the middle of the, in the you know the center point of this season. Um, and so the Nauglamir, we can position the Nauglamir to be like, remember Finrod, right? When you see the Nauglamir, mm. that's what Ordreth is gonna be doing, right? Ordreth is gonna set it up in a little like Finrod shrine. Um, yeah, you know, and he's, he's oh my gosh, he's he's Sam in Falcon and the Winter Soldier when he puts the <laughs> right. instead of taking up the shield instead of taking up the shield museum. he puts it in the yeah exactly he puts it in a museum yeah yeah, yeah and he exactly. like he keeps going back to the museum looking at it and go well not before it gets given to somebody else but he goes yeah. back to the museum he's looking he's like mm. but right. I do have a question um, and that is. Does Finrod wear the Nogglemir? Yeah. So do you, do you recall that um, Thingol kind of had something to say about? The oh, we did the jewels. jewel thing. Yeah, it's awkward. Now it? he banned speaking Quenya as well, and we did incorporate yeah. that. So if you if you consider that Finrod can't that. do this. But then the question is, does Finrod still care about Thingol's ban at this point in the story? Because it's been hundreds of years. Also, you know, like that. And Thingol didn't Noldor, show up for the dagger bride a lot. Yeah, and all of the Noldor have kind of done this, like, um, you know, look, we're gonna go, we're gonna go along with the ban, but like that doesn't mean like he can't control what we do at home, you know. Like we're, when we all get together, we're not gonna, we're gonna not gonna be rude, right? We're all gonna speak Cinderin, and we're not gonna wear our gems to council meetings and stuff. But like, 
does that mean that I, I can't like wear my own crown in my own throne room? Like, forget you, Thingol. Like, you're not the boss of me. Um, obviously, right. the Feanorians were saying that, and more than that, from the beginning, right? But even yeah. Finrod, like, again, when he's home in the privacy of his own, <laughs> of his own room, is he not going to put on his own bling if he wants to put on his own bling? Like, what's Thingol so got his- to say about that? So his interpretation is, when I go to Doriath, I don't bring the yeah, Noglinger with me. Yes, absolutely not. Which is deliciously ironic, right? Of course. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. We want to make sure the Noglinger doesn't end up in, in, uh, in, in Doriath, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. No, um, exactly, exactly. But, this but, is yeah. why Thingol thinks he has a right to it, because... You know, it was uh, because Finrod shouldn't. It's it's Fingle, It's Finrod's forfeit for breaking. He shouldn't the have had it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, because since I banned these and you had it anyway, that means I that means I get it. Yeah, it's mine. It's a fine. It's a fine. <laughs> it's a fine. <laughs> it's a fine. Um, yeah, I, it's um, yeah. I had forgotten completely about the jewel that jewels angle uh, that we introduced there. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's, it's still going, it can still, he doesn't have to wear it all the time. You know, I, do I, do I kind of feel like he should, we should see him in it? Yeah. I kind of feel like we should see him in it. Um, but that doesn't mean we have to have him constantly wearing it all the time. Um, because I think it's significance to him would not be as personal ornament. It would be as like memory of what was what should it look like the Naglamir I hadn't thought of it in these terms before if we think of it as like it is to him because I'm not I mean I'm thinking forward to Finrod's song battle right and his part of the song battle and his singing of Valinor and, 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 and what he does right like his song that he sings against Sauron that's like what the Nauglamir like if if you were to ask me what what should the Nauglamir mean to him, I would I would that's where I would go. I would go to his 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 Valinor song. Um, uh, so there should be I'm not sure what it means as far as what it looks like, but that there should be there should be a connection there. Anyway, visually, I mean, uh, I don't know how. We would have, yeah. we would have had a lot of examples of Noldorn jewelry up to this point. So the fact that this one's dwarven made, there should be something different about it. But if it recalls some elements of the Noldor designs, then right. Of what like, if of, it's of Tyrion or yeah? Oh, what if it? What if it recalls Miramir? Like in the reverse. Like whatever Miramir looks like when you look into it. Right. Right. The 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 stars of that. The stars. That, yeah. Yeah. Reflect yeah, the, out of mirror, mirror. Crown it of Durin. could look like the reverse of that. I'm trying right. to think. Instead what, of up here, what, like, what do you mean by like reverse? Instead of it being oh, like flipping, instead of the, the crown it's over Durin's head, mirror up it's yes. the, right, right. Okay, I see, I see. Mirror. So not not. Okay, right, right, right. Um, so an, an uneven. It's a mirror, mirror, mirror. It's a mirror, mirror, mirror. An uneven placement of jewels to recall a constellation. Yeah. Um, specifically, the sickle of the Valar. Well, I was gonna say yes. Yeah. I mean, that that Finrod would be into that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he'd be into a constellation themed necklace, right? Yeah. 
And that's very okay. So th- it's also very so Valinorian. Think about the sickle of the Valar, right? Because the Big Dipper, and so you have the the curvature and the bowl, right? And the Cimmeril could rest underneath the curvature, so it would be this really interesting asymmetrical, yeah, thing once yeah. it's done. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, 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 that's interesting. I like that a lot. Like the, the the connection with that I hadn't thought at all about that the mirror mirror connection that's really interesting the Durin's crown thing now of course these aren't long beards right right but Durin but still, is still held still in it's, high it's, esteem it's, by yeah, all of them still yeah. a big deal yeah still still a big deal um, especially if um, yeah, I mean I'm imagining what's his name I forgot the Smith Zirak young Zirak. Yeah, Zirak. He will become old Zirak. Old Zirak, right, right. Uh, yes, feisty yeah. young Zirak here uh, is going to be um, like I, you. You can kind of see the the link, right? Like I'm making a necklace for one of the Eldar, right? For one of the children of the stars, and um, uh, what they like stars. So I'm thinking Durin's crown. Okay, wait, Durin's crown, right? Let's do it. Let's do a Durin's yeah. crown. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one can see how that comes through. Um, and it and it certainly adds to the mythic nature of it to the dwarves. Yeah. Like like that's part of why it's it has an almost religious significance to them. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's cool. And that cuz yeah that and it certainly offers a premise for their demanding of it later on. Right. I mean, it's not a legitimate premise, but it's it's you know they're going to need some excuses, and that's that's a good one, right? It, this is a holy relic of the dwarves. Um, mm-hmm. Here's here's why, right? I like that. Um, okay, and yeah, the pilgrimage—it's having been established as a pilgrimage site for later on—is fine. Steve, I see. Steve was uh, concerned that Nargathon is closed by Turin's time. It's okay. But there will be plenty of time for there to have been pilgrimages between when we see it now and when we see it later on. All we need is a shrine that has like uh, that is like now a little Finrod museum, uh, you know, with other stuff. So. Yeah, but I, he does make a good point, though, that the speech that Curfin gives right before Finrod leaves is what makes Nargothron go into full lockdown forever. Yes. Until Turin. Until Turin. So that does kind of clash with an idea of pilgrimages of dwarves coming, unless... Unless, I mean, it ha- I mean, unless we show it during the time that Turin's there... Um, and they and a remark is made about how long it's been since they've been able to pilgrims have been able to visit it. Um, also, what's his face? Meme could have something to say about about how dwarves used to come across the mountains for miles and days and months to journey to see the Mount Lemire. We when, haven't um, when what's his face when when Hurin kills him. Hurin we haven't done anything right. with the not with the no longer petty dwarves in a long time. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Let's continue to do nothing with them. Oh, I, was gonna, th- th- I was just I was just pointing out that I kind of have a vague memory that we sort of wanted to not not come back to the petty dwarves until the t- until the Turin story, but excuse me, the unpetty dwarves um, until um, Turin's time. What did we decide to call them? I know we disliked petty dwarves in the end, yeah. but. Uh, um, that word has just changed too much. They were the seven, they, I think there was something they called themselves, and there was something that the other dwarves called them, and so yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. There's something about I, exile and I also being without a country and yeah, they yeah, were houseless yeah. or something the houseless like that. Houseless dwarves, yeah, 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 that's something right. like that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. At some point, we should encounter them again before Turin runs into Meme, so that yeah. Um, but um, anyway, okay. Um, just remembering an uncomfortable thing there for a moment. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, uh, but um, okay, uh, but that's fine. Um, okay, all right. No, th- this will work. This will work. We can establish that. So, the two dwarvish impacts on the plot line during this season will be in the first handful of episodes, like somewhere in episodes one through four, presumably, we get Finrod and the Naglamir. Um, and then, um, which is good, by the way, like it's good to have a reason to reestablish Finrod prior to Baron showing up. Right. Um, yes. With Finrod. So um, that's, that's a very, that's a very, you know, so that when Baron leaves Doriath and is like plan A Finrod in Nargothrond, right? We will have just been touching base with Finrod comparatively recently. Um, and remembering also taking that opportunity to recall Finrod's connection with Tol Sirion, which is now towering Garhoth, right? Uh, so that's another thing we need before Finrod and Baron get there, right? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, um, that manages all that, and then we have the dwarves of Belagost and the windfall at Hel- at Helleborn, and uh, um, yeah, I think that's enough dwarf storyline uh, for this season. Um, yeah, that's very cool. So we didn't we skipped Thingol entirely, um, but that's okay. Let me um just end by kind of addressing uh, I don't even know what to say um, about so we decided not to do the battle last time and I I know that decision has been unpopular <laughs> with many people on the board the primary thing that I would so I feel I like feel the need to address it right uh, for that reason um, and then we can come back and talk more about Thingol stuff next time but I guess what I would just want to say about that is there is I totally understand and respect the desire to have Thingol to maintain Thingol's status, you know. Um I think that's really important. But I think that having him win a battle is not would not anyway have accomplished what we need to accomplish with his character. Right, he will triumph. Thingol will have a triumph, which will keep him just from being jerk face from one end to the next of this. Like I, I agree, we certainly want to guard against Thingol becoming a kind of a caricature, like lame bad guy character right away. Right, um, but uh, his triumph is his acceptance of Baron later on, like his personal character growth. Um, from when, from what he does, ignoring Melian, 
doing the, you know, cunning counsel that he uh, uh, applies to the Baron situation. Um, that's, um, you know, that's 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 fine. Right. Like that's you know he's going to come down there. Right. Um, and he's not. He's been a mixed character already to this point. Right. But he's going to recover. Right. I mean, he's going to end the season strong. Um, he has a real upward arc and it has nothing to do with military prowess. And indeed, right. I think military prowess would be utterly irrelevant to the character growth that we're really going to see in him. It's when he accepts Baron and marries the two of them. Right. Um, I mean, like I see him like conducting the marriage ceremony himself between mm. Baron and Luthien. Right. Um, after they return. Of Turin is super redeeming super redeeming yes we see you know, this is not just a, a flash in the pan right, right his he's right. his this is he's turning over a new leaf this is him turning over a new leaf right and we'll see that continue all the way through the turin story but let's not forget this is also the same guy who suffers from death by monologue right <laughs> Right. right, like right. He came, let's he not, came down with a terminal case of monologue. Let's, let's not lose sight of the fact that that's where we're ending up. So if he's got mm-hmm. some ups and downs, even some significant ones, I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah, because yeah. he's got to get to there. He does. He does. And 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 I think that it will still be enough. Um, We've, I mean, he's a long-running character, and he's been from the beginning a great. We've we've never lessened him, right? Sometimes he acts like a jerk, but we've never made him a little character, right? We've never made, you know, he's always been, he's always had greatness, you know, he's always had power, he's always had significance. Um, he's never been weak. He's sometimes a jerk, but he's never been weak, right? Um, and we will see him gain a moral strength over the course of this season, and which he will maintain. Into, the, into, into, uh, into coming seasons. So he's going to be... Re- and that will mean then his fall with the Silmaril and the dwarves is going to be the more tragic, right? Because Thingol will have been trending in a very positive direction really for quite some time um, before then. I mean, his, his time with Turin is ultimately... And Morwen... And Neonar is ultimately frustrating, right? Um, I mean, he he fails to do the good that he's trying to do, but he's consistently trying to do the good, right? So yeah, I, I think in my um, my the thing that I would urge is that that is his story, like that is the story of Thingol in this season, and it would be his story even if he were in a battle. Um, so, and, and that's exactly why I don't think that it's not because I don't want people to think that our choice to not give him a battle has anything to do with our not caring about like his stature or, you know, his kind of standing with the viewers, um, but rather our desire to increase his standing in exactly the way that it's going to be very important for him to have it as we as we move forward. Um, and Steve, we have shown Thingol in combat. We saw him as a triumphant battle leader back in season three. Um, it was a while ago, but again, he's had a long career um, and he's been many things, right? He has been uh, ambassador. He has been, you know, one of the leaders of the march across. He's been the dude who, 
you know, married up in the biggest way in Tolkien's corpus. He has been the leader of all of the Sindar. Um, and, you know, he he's like a, a triumphant in battle, saving the green elves. There's lots of things that we have shown him doing. Um, but um, so, yeah, I mean, he's got that on his resume. We've established that. Um, even though I would add, I don't know that we would, we'd, even if we hadn't, I don't think we would need it now. Like, you know, warrior king is not really a prominent line on his resume, Thingol, you know? <laughs> so, um, like, it's, we don't, that's not, that's not, that's not a credential he needs to buff up in this season, really. Um, that's just not his bag, <laughs> you know? Um, but anyway, it's, 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 and that's, like, that doesn't lessen him. It's just, it doesn't make him something he's not. He, that's not, that's not who Thingol is. Um, but anyway, it, in as much as he needs it, he's got it. He's already, he's already established that. Um, but, um, anyway, um, it was a while ago, admittedly, right? Three seasons prior to this. Um, but, um, but again, it just, the kind of strength of character or whatever, like the kind of stature that winning a battle would gain for him is ultimately, it seems to me, a kind of stature almost wholly irrelevant to what his real battle is in this season. And his real battle is, is he going to accept Baron? Is he going to, you know, his relationship with his daughter, his relationship with Baron, which ultimately maps onto his relationship with humans as a whole, as we'll see in the Turin story, right? I mean, it's, um, uh, that's, that's the big fight that he has to fight and he loses the first battle right when when Luthien when his daughter brings home the boyfriend that he did, does not cover himself in glory there um uh though I loved the uh the comment on the boards that um uh who was it who was testifying as the father of a 15 year old daughter I yes, yes, Octoburn, exactly. I love that. Having a 15-year-old daughter myself, I can relate to going from pretty good dad to jerk when your daughter walks in with someone that you don't approve of. And yeah, like, I, 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 you know, his failure even, like it's a, you can, you can relate, you know, like it's, it's, it's definitely something that's, uh, you know, you can, I mean, even, even Melian's response, right? Oh, King, you have devised cunning counsel, right? Like, I see what you did there, and I understand why you did it, but, like, you know. Um, anyway, that's, um, you know, I don't, I don't think you really thought this through. Um, and again, like, that's, uh, I, I, can, I can see that, right? I can feel him I, there. I swear to never send any of my daughter's boyfriends on a suicidal quest Look, don't make rash vows, man. Yeah. Don't make don't make promises you can't keep. <laughs> That's my advice. To face the devil. <laughs> right. it's, never say never, man, is all I'm saying. I, mean, like it's, I feel like... <laughs> these situations catch us by surprise sometimes. That's all I'm saying. You never know, right? You just never know. Uh, <laughs> it's easy to say now. Your daughter's how old? Come on. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, but we'll but at the same po- at the same <laughs> point, like I feel like what he did shows remarkable remarkable restraint in a way yeah. because yeah. some of us might have just you know right 
Yeah. No, there's, there's, right, yeah. There were zero shotguns involved in Thingol's yeah, exactly. response to the situation. Exactly. Yeah. No. It's and and this is this this is why I want Thingol presiding at the wedding. You know, like in the at the end, like they got this is it's, it, he wins, right? This is this is victory. And again, and I'm just thinking what this means. The the scene that we get in one sentence in uh, in the text. Um, when Luthien returns and heals the winter of things, like, oh my goodness, like that has to be such a powerful scene, right? That's the closure of the loop, right? The end of the Thingol story in this season comes when Luthien revives him, uh, you know, from uh, his despair after Luthien's death, right? After Luthien and Baron die. Like that, oh my goodness, like that's going to be such a powerful scene. Um, and one of the main reasons why I'm really worried about things like the Leap of Baron and the fight with Kelgorm and Kurafin, because um, as much as I want to do that scene, I, even less do I want to shortchange these other things, including things which are shortchanged in the text, right? Like they, we just don't get them much in the text, and there's so much more that could be done with those. Um, as we knew, Tolkien did write, did start writing, did not ever finish many much longer versions of the Baron and Luthien story because, you know, it was really quick. This is, um, yeah, sorry, I don't want to complain. Uh, never complain about what Christopher Tolkien didn't give us because it's just ungrateful. And, you know, like, it's just ungrateful. Um, however, I was kind of hoping for that with the Baron and Luthien book. Like, would it have done any harm? On the other but anyway, with whatever. Film Film Project, we get to fill in all the gaps ourselves. There we go. And we might not do as awesome of a job as could have been if the original existed. But we never have to worry about like, oh man, if only that piece of the story were here, we just have to make it up. That's it. That's that's the fun of all of this. So anyway, um, so that was me not talking about Thingol for a while. Um, I hang on. Wait, what else do we have to say though about him? I guess there are a couple things we can finish up with him. Um, we can lump it in with the Nargothrond discussion. It can. Most yeah, of we what to... we still have to discuss about him is what does he do while his daughter is away, which. Partially, and she's in Nargothrond. Partially, she's in Nargothrond, and he's going to be preoccupied with that. So, uh, with uh, that is the whole Nargothrondian situation uh, with Kelgorm. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, we talked about how he reconciles with Baron and Luthien after the quest. Man, like the the that scene, like this. The, there's so many powerful scenes, right? But that, like, uh, you know, that that Baron, like here's the Silmaril, <laughs> you know, like, and he holds up his stump, right? Oh, man. Like, and the, and like, then the heart of Thingol melting, and oh, man, like, that's s- such a powerful scene. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so good. So good. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about, we can lump in the question of basically what, what did Thingol do when Luthien's away? Um, Maybe we come back to Dairon in that context also. We need to figure out what happened with... I don't want Dairon to vanish in one paragraph. Uh, again, I, we can do... We can, we can still get rid of him, but I, we need to do a little bit more with poor... I'd like poor Dairon to get a little bit more plot line. Um, uh, yeah. But anyway... Um, uh, okay, so... This didn't go quite according to plan. But for next time, so I said, we're, okay, so here's what we're going to do. So for next time, let me go backwards again. 
Next, we're gonna we're gonna answer the last Thingol questions in the context of talking about Nargothrond, right? So maybe we'll do Nargothrond, then we'll come back. To, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's do Nargothrond, and then we'll come back to Thingol and and Dairon as well, right? Afterwards, in the context of what we decide about Nargothrond, right? Um, so we need to we need to iron out the Kalgorm and Kurufin story and how we're gonna do that and how much we're gonna do with all that. Um, and especially in the light of like changes we've made to Ordreth's character and stuff like that. We need to, we need to figure out how that's going to look. Not to mention the additions we've done to things like, uh, uh, Brimbor's character, right? Uh, the relationship between Kelebrimbor and Ordreth that we've already built, right? We need to, but we, I mean, that has to pay off, right? So we need to figure you know, out that stuff. Then we'll return to Thingol and Dairon, and then we will think about... Um, we'll be close to the story of Barry and Luthien, but not quite. Um, I still want to think about magic. Um, a question that we have had for a long time, like since the beginning of the Silm Film Project, in a sense, is how are we going to... Like, when people are doing magic... <laughs> doing magical stuff. How do we show that? Like, what do we show on screen? Like, how do we handle the, I mean, people like to joke about, you know, characterizing Finrod and Sauron as having a rap battle, but like for real, what does it look like? They're singing their songs. What do we show on the screen when they're standing there singing their songs? Like, how do we, Luthien does her thing, makes her hair grow, does, you know, makes her cloak like that. What do we show when people are doing you know, she puts everybody to sleep. Like, this is the limit. <laughs> like, we've put off talking about that because we've been able to avoid... We've n- never really had times when people are like, I am doing something magical on screen right now. Like, that's almost never happened in any of the stories that we've told. We've been able to avoid that. The, there have been a couple exceptions, um, but notice how we got around those times. Like, one of the big examples that we have had in the past has been at the, the, the Marathatothad, right? Mm-hmm. But we got around that by making the effects of that almost purely spiritual and psychological, right? Um, we didn't have to show much. Anyway, point is, I want to I I make sure we know how we're going to handle the special effects in this season. What are we going to do for special effects? What, what, how much special effects do we need? What are we, you know, we have a lot of people. This season we have people all over the place doing magic, doing necromancy, doing um, casting spells over people. Like, what else are you doing if you're, when you're putting all of Angband to sleep, if not casting a spell, right? Um, we have magical hair growth. We have magic cloaks of two different varieties. We have all kinds of things like that going on, right? How do we handle that? How do we want to, what do we want to do and not do? Um, so we're going to, we're going to touch on that because I know if we don't touch on that first, we're going to, I'm going to get all distracted in the middle of the Baron and Luthien story talking about that. So we're going to clear that out of the way and then we'll get to Baron and Luthien. So that's a look ahead at what's coming, uh, in the next, uh, in the next few sessions. Um, so just so that you can start thinking about that and talking about those things on the discussion board, our next session will be on February 24th, uh, at 10 PM Eastern time. We should be, uh, on schedule here for this next one. And, yeah, I think the next one too. Where we're, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm starting March. I'm starting to do travel again uh, with uh, our regional moots are happening. So, um, but next one February twenty fourth is still safe. Um, but anyway, so there we go. 
So thank you, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we will see you guys again in two weeks. And I will say, as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.